Good afternoon. Hello there. There are some faces I don't recognize. Um, for those who don't know me, uh, my name is Alistair. And I, thank you. Hello. Uh, I was a student here and I graduated way back in 2019. So that's ancient history. Way back. <laughs> yeah, let's not talk about you guys. And uh, uh, I finished university. I went on to work for the church for a year. Uh, that finished because they got fed up with me. And, <laughs> and since then, I've been working at a school um, uh, in our broth, just across the waters. Um, today, we are continuing our series in 1 John. And uh, we're going to be in chapter 3, verse 16. Not that John 3.16. This is 1 John 3.16 to 24. Don't touch at me, Ben. And uh, whilst you get your Bibles out, get the right page. Um, I think it's worth saying that um, if you lose track of what I'm saying, you zone out or you just get a bit bored, don't worry. The words of this passage is the takeaway. The words of this passage is the application. So uh, if nothing else... Um, Hear the words of this passage, and let's give it a go. John's done a pretty good job of laying it out for us, which is lovely. So, let's read 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 to 24. I think it's going to appear behind me. Look at that, as if like magic, and I've got it in front of me. Cool. We know what real love is, because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth, so we will be confident when we stand before God. Even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings, and he knows everything. Dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, we can come to God with bold confidence, and we will receive from him whatever we ask, because we obey him and do the things that please him. And this is his commandment. We must believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Those who obey God's commandments remain in fellowship with him and he with them. And we know he lives in us because the spirit he gave us lives in us. There we go. I haven't got enough room. I'm going to have to drop that. All right. So I'm going to tackle this afternoon's passage in three parts. So it might be helpful to keep your Bible open in front of you to keep track. The three things I want to talk about are, what is love? Thanks, Jim. I thought you would do that. Uh, loving the people of God and having confidence in God's presence. And finally, listening to his voice and doing what he says. But I'll start with a quick disclaimer. I'll be speaking a lot about loving the church. And I'll be using that word church to refer to the worldwide family of Christians. You don't have to go back very far in history, let alone our, our own uh, newsfeed, to see how the church across the world has participated in sometimes conscious, sometimes horrendous evil. We should love the church, and I'll get to that later. But that cannot mean turning a blind eye to how it has failed people. I think it's important to say that Jesus' love for the church isn't blind 
to how it's failed people either. I think it's important to say uh, that those who have led the people of God astray will have a lot to answer for when Jesus returns. I don't exactly know what happens after death, but I know I would not like to be in their position. So let's turn to the first section, what is love? By looking at verses 16 to 18. Jim, last week, spoke about how Jesus really cares about our holiness, our living, how Jesus intends us to live. It's what's best for us and for our relationship with God. This way of living is marked by the fruits of the Spirit, especially love. And last week's passage finished with this in verse 14. We know we have crossed over from death to life because we love our fellow Christians. Anyone who does not love is still in the realms of death. So we think, all right then, that sounds important. Let's love one another. But what does that really mean? We're so, to- we're so often told in songs and, and films that the pinnacle of affection, uh, the very truest acts of love are spontaneous. Uh, that the truest act of love is when someone is so overcome by emotion that they cannot help but do some extravagant, often totally unreasonable act. Now, while these make good stories, I personally find these completely unrelatable. It's not how I tend to do emotions. Thankfully, Lucy didn't marry me for my similarities to the typical rom-com character. Alas, I am no Hugh Grant. (laughs) Thanks. And And thank goodness she didn't. Because the truest acts of love aren't spontaneous displays of emotion that we can't contain. John says in verse 16, this is how we know what love is. Christ gave his life for us. Real love isn't glamorous. It's not spontaneous. It doesn't suddenly come out of nowhere. Real love is sacrificial. Giving something of ourselves or what we have for someone else. It's also often not from an overflow of feelings. If anything, acts of love are a habit we need to learn. Jesus didn't come to earth on day one and then die for us on day two. He lived a sacrificial life, daily practicing acts of love, even when he was tired, even when he was trying to be alone. I reckon that lifelong practice of sacrificial love was a big part of him being able to go from the agonizing praying in the Garden of Gethsemane to the horrific nailing to the cross at Calvary. Throughout his life, Jesus loved the unlovable and welcomed the abandoned. If we want to do that, and I suggest we can't escape from it, then we can't wait until we feel a strong enough emotion to act spontaneously. Because the spontaneous acts of love and generosity usually only follow from a lifelong habit of choosing to love. And again, I don't mean conjuring up emotions towards people. John puts it like this in verses 16 and 17. This is how we know what love is. Christ gave his life for us. And we in our turn must give our lives for our fellow Christians. If someone who possesses the good things of this world sees a fellow Christian in need and withholds compassion from him, how can it be said that the love of God dwells in him? We are meant to be a people who practice a habit of sacrificial love. 
who are quick to choose to give of ourselves, our time, our energy, and our possessions for the sake of our brothers and sisters. To finish off this section, I want to say that John isn't just speaking to us as individuals. This consistent choosing to love the church, to love each other, is meant to mark the church, the people of God. This sacrificial love being put into practice is one of the main things that makes the church attractive to people. It sets us apart. Sacrificial love is what we do and how we do community. For us, Kingdom Vineyard, let's grow even more in being a loving family. I know I'm preaching to the choir, and I have, and I have much to learn from many in this room, but I felt this needs to be said. We have an opportunity this summer to grow together as a community, to invest in getting to know one another. Over the summer, we've, we've just heard that there are some KV events happening where we'll be able to hang out together. Pub Church will still be running on a Friday, I think, at the Waypat. Home groups are going to be running socials throughout the summer over the next couple of months. The time before our service starts is a prime time to get to know each other. That will be 10 past 10 from July. There are points of connection to get involved in. And besides all of that, we can always be inviting each other for dinner, for coffee, for walks on the beach. The point is this. We have an opportunity, as the KV family who stay all year round, to invest in each other now. If we do that, we can offer an even greater welcome into, the, into our family for those students who are coming to St. Andrews in September whose families are far away and are looking for one here. Let's move on to the next section. Loving the people of God and having confidence in God's presence. In verses 19 to 22, John continues with this. This is how we shall know that we belong to the realm of truth and reassure ourselves in his sight where conscience condemns us. For God is greater than our conscience and knows all. My dear friends, if our conscience does not condemn us, then we can approach God with confidence and take from him whatever we ask, because we are keeping his commands and doing what he approves. I think what John is saying here is that loving our brothers and sisters, loving the church, is so important that if we're doing that, then we can reassure ourselves that we can't be going too far wrong. That sounds like a pretty bold claim. But for John, church is vital and not an optional extra. It's not a service we receive or go along to. The church is so much more. Firstly, God's intention is for the people of God, the worldwide church, to be the carrier of his presence. We've seen this throughout the Bible, in the Garden of Eden, or with the burning bush and the pillar of cloud and fire, there was the tabernacle, then the temple. In the New Testament, God comes into the world as a human called Jesus. And after Jesus is killed, risen from the dead, and returned to the Father, he sent the Holy Spirit to fill his church, and he has never left. We, together, are the carriers of God's presence on earth. And for more on that, you can go to John 14 and 16. Secondly, 
The church is meant to reveal the reality that Jesus is king. We've just been singing about it this morning, afternoon. At the end of the Old Testament, God is meant to be Israel's king. But they've spent centuries ignoring and actively going against God. They're sent into exile, the temple's destroyed, and they they never really return as a nation again. Into this, Jesus comes as the long-foretold and anticipated savior king who would restore Israel and the rest of the world as children of God and reestablish us as his people. With Jesus as king, God's people are once again able to go out into the world to welcome people into the kingdom, bringing God's blessing to the broken and the suffering. And to link back to the start, we're to build God's kingdom not with coercion, not with violence. We're to build God's kingdom with acts of sacrificial love. One day, Jesus will return. He will return and complete this work. The earth will be renewed, and all brokenness, all pain, all death will be but a memory. The world will be as it was made to be, with God's rule encompassing all creation. Until then, Jesus is king. He is king of the world. It hasn't been revealed to everyone yet, and some actively deny it. But Paul puts it like this in Ephesians chapter 1, 21 and 22. Now he, Jesus, is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else. Not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. The church is meant to be the community that is aware of and walking in that reality of Jesus' rule and reign. As it says in today's passage, we belong to the realm of truth. We are the kingdom of God. We are his people. When we become a Christian, that's what we're signing up to be a part of, to be the people who are living by God's truth. And what Jim was talking about last week is that when we sin, we're denying who we are, and we're not living to the fullness of the life we've been given by Jesus. So, we can see why John places such importance on sacrificially loving the church. Let's not love the church for its Sunday services, its events, and the way it makes us feel. Let's love the church and be an active part of it, because it is the carrier of the presence of God, and it's our family. It's our people. Throughout the Bible, God works through people. And in our world today, God is working through the church, despite its failings. So let's take our place and be a part of being the hope for the world. Looking back at this section, verses 19 to 22, this is how we shall know that we belong to the realm of truth and reassure ourselves in his sight where conscience condemns us. For God is greater than our conscience and knows all. I think what John is talking about here is that sometimes we don't feel confident entering into God's presence. This isn't about salvation. That's that's, that's sorted. We are saved by faith in Jesus. John's talking about the day-to-day. Sometimes we just need reassuring that we're still on track. Sometimes we struggle to go to God 
because there's that voice in the back of our head inside us telling us that we're unworthy to be in God's presence, that we can't go to God because we've just messed up or we've gone too far from him. Maybe there's even something to it. In those moments, there are many really helpful things for us to hold on to, such as we are never too far away from the love of God. He is always calling us back into his presence. He has far more grace for us than we ever do for ourselves, and he loves us way more than we could ever comprehend. But but here John is giving another helpful thing to hold on to. Whether or not that condemning voice has any a shred of truth to it, God knows what's going on in us way more than we do. So let's not allow overanalyzing to get in the way of approaching our Heavenly Father. John says we can reassure ourselves that if we have loved the church, if we've loved our brothers and sisters, if we've really tried, then we can't be going too far wrong. Because Jesus cares so deeply about his church. If we do too, then we can know that our hearts are at least somewhat aligned with his. If we're worried that we're going in the wrong direction, it might be worth asking, have I loved the church? Have I loved my brothers and sisters? If the answer is yes, then take heart and run to Jesus. If the answer is maybe not, then let's run to Jesus all the same and ask him to help us to go back to him. He might well prompt us to think about how engaged we are in our church community. And if you're wondering what loving the church looks like, then I'll refer you back to the first section of this sermon and verse 18 from today's passage. Children, love must not be a matter of theory or talk. It must be true love, which shows itself in action. And to finish off this section, you might well be thinking, gosh, this church thing sounds awfully inward looking. This is, alas, a topic for another sermon, but suffice to say that the church also exists for the sake of the rest of the world. That is fundamental. N.T. Wright wrote this. The point is this. When God saves people in this life by working through his spirit to bring them to faith and by leading them to follow Jesus in discipleship, prayer, holiness, hope, and love, such people are designed it isn't too strong a word, to be a sign and foretaste of what God wants to do for the entire cosmos. What's more, such people are not just to be a sign and foretaste of their ultimate salvation. They are to be part of the means by which God makes this happen in both the present and the future. In other words, God has blessed us greatly, and we're meant to share that with each other and with everyone around us too. Let's finish with this final section, listening to his voice and doing what he says. We read in verses 23 and 24, his command is that we should give our allegiance to his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as Christ commanded us. Those who keep his commands dwell in him, and he dwells in them. And our certainty that he dwells in us comes for the spirit that he he has given us. We finish this passage with John getting right to the core of what we're designed to do. We recently uh, preached through Genesis, and in those stories, 
uh, stories, we read how God created us to be co-rulers with him on earth. The creation story uses the idea of cultivating a garden to describe this. And those in my home groups since September uh, will know that this has really captured my imagination because I keep banging on about it. Um, And so I shall now inflict this upon the rest of you. For me, and it's very fitting that it's Father's Day, it makes me think of gardening with my dad. When I was really young, my interaction with the garden was just going out to play in it and enjoying what he'd created and, 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 and cultivated for our family. As I got older, he would slowly teach me how to help him with the gardening, planting plants in the borders, cutting the grass together, hanging up a bird feeder I made in cubs just outside the dining room window. As I grew in trusting his leading, getting better at the skills he was showing me, Dad would trust me with more. We worked together on bigger jobs like tearing up the patio and putting the new trampoline in. And with enough shared trust, he would give me the lawnmower to cut the grass when he was away or to water the garden when it was dry in the summer and didn't want the lawn to die. Eventually, after I learned much more from him, I was invited to have a bigger part in the decision-making process of what was actually going to happen to the garden. And the plum tree that I convinced him to plant is still there, though it actually is struggling actually a little bit. But I've left, so that's not my fault, so it's fine. (laughs) In Genesis, God planted a garden, and he gave it to us to play in with him. He invited us to work it with him, to expand its borders in order to bring cultivated beauty to the areas around. In order to do that, though, we needed to learn how to garden from him. In the Genesis story, the humans decide that they want to know best. They choose to gain wisdom without having listened to God and without having been taught by him. It doesn't go very well for them. But God's intention all along is that we'd listen to him be taught by him and follow him. That we would cultivate the garden hand in hand. And as we learned more and more from him, we'd be able to do more and more with him. And even, and even to grow in having a say in the creative process. This still applies today. The same invitation is for us. Let's learn from him, be guided by him, and listen to his voice in the day to day. He'll probably start with small stuff, but slowly he'll take us further and further into the bigger and the bigger. And as we trust him more, he is able to entrust us with more. And as we do what he says, we learn what he wants, how he operates. Then as others did in the Bible, we get to be a bigger part in the conversation. What about over there, Lord? Yeah, Alistair, that's exactly what I was thinking. Let's go for it. This is the life of faith, taking risks to follow Jesus' beckoning. After all, if we are the church, if we have called Jesus our king, then let's wholeheartedly follow him. He is always beckoning us into acts of love for his people and for the world. We do this empowered by the Holy Spirit, God's very presence in us. 
as we grow in trusting Jesus, listening to his voice and doing what, it says, what he says, then we will experience more of the fruits of the Spirit, more of his gifts. We will see his power manifested more and more as we ask him to move. We will see healings, we will see miracles, and we will hear his voice more clearly and be more aware of his presence. And if we like the sound of that, I know we want to see more of God moving in this family, in this church, moving in this town and in this nation, then it starts with us listening to his voice and doing what he says. As I'm drawing this to a close, you might wonder what listening to God's voice looks like. I can't cover that in any depth here, but grab me afterwards or please ask at a home group. In short, though, first and foremost, there's the Bible. We hear God through what is written, and we test everything else we hear by what the Bible says. We hear from the Holy Spirit in us. This can be a word or a picture or a nudge or a gut feeling. For me, it's often an idea that pops into my head that doesn't sound like my, it doesn't feel or sound like an idea from me. It's often a voice that says, careful, if I'm going down a path I know I shouldn't. Or, slow down, have a chat and engage with this person. Or, why don't you mention church on Sunday? Or, you could have to pray here. Without fail, when I have followed those nudges, it has worked out for the best and has led to some of the most impactful moments from the last few years. We also hear God's voice, often most powerfully, through other people. We're going to go into a time of prayer ministry in just a second, where we can pray for one another. And what a perfect opportunity to be open to the voice of God for or from someone else. So I'm going to finish here, and we'll pray for each other. Please do come forward. If anything I said uh, maybe resonated with you, maybe you felt stirred uh, to be a part of building up this community, this church, especially this summer. Maybe you feel shaken by life, a little lost, and need reassuring from God that you haven't gone too far from him. Maybe you want to give him your yes again, to recommit to listening for his voice in the day-to-day and trying to do what he says. Or maybe you want to give him your yes for the first time. I'll pray to finish, and then please do come forward to receive prayer. So why don't you stand and I'll pray. Yeah, Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We thank you that you're in this place, that you're moving amongst us, and we, we welcome you in again into our hearts. Lord, I pray that if anything I said resonated with anyone, would you, would you just hammer it home right now? Would you let it spring out, give it life and imagination in people's hearts? Let them take hold of it. Lord, I thank you for this church and this community. 
Lord, empower us to love each other well. Lead us into acts of love. Remind us of the importance of the worldwide church. Would you set us on fire again for his work?